Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and this is Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this powerful episode, I catch up with the incredible Jerry Hussey. And there's a beautiful expression that says, a hot air balloon flies not just because of the hot air in the balloon, but because the ropes they cut tying it to the ground. And I realised that when my last book came out, I still had ropes, emotional things that were tying me to pain. And unless I was willing to face those head on, I would never be free. And no matter how many books I write, no matter how many people in the world said I was incredible, I would never be free. I had to go back to source, the source of my pain, the source of my limitations. I had to have the most the hardest conversation that you could think someone could ever have but I did it for peace so I would say to everybody start by forgiving no matter what it was ask yourself am I going back to dig this up for anger to hurt somebody or am I just going in pursuit of peace Health and performance coach Jerry and his wife Miriam are the founders of wellness platform SoulSpace. And along with their son Eli, who's three and a half, and their daughter Bethany, who recently turned one, they split their time between Ireland and Portugal and they're simply gorgeous people. We spoke in Galway on the 1st of November, the day his latest book, The Freedom Within, was released. And during our conversation, he delves into things like family dynamics and emotional triggers. He also talks about parenthood and the importance of repair, the current situation in Palestine and the power of forgiveness. It's a thought-provoking and comforting listen, but it's also challenging at times too, so please do check the show notes before you listen. Here it is. So perhaps the best place to start is with the book itself. I I just got it. I picked it up. I read your introduction and I was really sucked in straight away. 
Uh, it's very powerful. It's it's very you. It's very raw. It's very open and honest. Um, and your vulnerability in your introduction is quite something. And I'd love if you wouldn't mind maybe bringing us back to that time because it's the it's, it it basically begins the day that the last book, Awaken Your Power Within, was released to the world. Yeah. Um, well, in in all the work I do, the reason I do it first and foremost is because this is this is the work I do for my own self and I don't talk or I don't write about something I don't believe in and I only believe in it if I've tested it and it's proven. So every everything people hear me talk about is not something I've read in a book, it's not something I've downloaded, it's something I've had to live, it's something I've had to overcome, something I've had to fear uh, and the methods I've used to overcome that. So what you'll find in my books is as raw as it gets. Um, I've gone past the point of caring what people think about me. I've gone past the point of worrying about, you know, how do I say this so people, you know, or how do I say it so that in a way that people want to hear it. So I just say it as it is. I speak from my heart and, and you'll always get that from me. And this book was exactly that. And this book was really, it's the last two and a half years where I realised on the last day of publication that as free and, and as aware and awakened as I thought I was, there was still a part of me that was still trapped or still there was a part of me that wasn't as free as I'd like. So the book starts on my last publication day. You know, I I put my heart and soul into writing my first book, Awaken Your Power Within. It broke all types of records and pre-orders. It was you know, we had a, a webinar that was launched with Eason's and 3,000 people had signed up. They're all, you know, ready to go. But on that day, there was still a part of me that was really sad. And it was because you're getting messages from all over the world about how incredible your book was and people have read pre-orders. And, and that means a lot. It really does. But then you go to your own family and there's no message and there's a, a, a almost a quietness there's a silence there's an absence of anything um and in fact the only conversation I got that day was from you know one member of my family who you know wanted to give out about me about writing the book and uh and being so honest in it and the you know the repercussions that might have on other people in the family and I think I certainly understand that point um but on that day, I remember all the stories going through my head. I've let everybody down. I shouldn't have wrote this book. This book is selfish. And it was like the inner critic that ruined my life for so many years that I'd worked so hard to get rid of. It was like it had just realised now is my chance and it attacked me with everything it had. And I remember waking up that morning knowing that the book was going to be in the public, knowing I could never take it back out, back and building this story in my head that now my fine my family would finally, you know, just leave me behind forever, and I had I was wrong, and I, I had hurt people, and the book was selfish, and and that story just kept building in my head all day, and how how terrible of a human being I was. And then that night, I remember Miriam's putting Eli to bed, and uh, I'm downstairs, I'm ready to go with three thousand people on a webinar, I'm about to go in and talk about this incredible new book. And I'm trying to eat my dinner, but my, my, my stomach is just sick because mm. I'm like, there's two parts of me. One is like, why hasn't my family supported me? And then the other part is, 
Why have I been so mean? Why have I been so selfish? Why have I done this to my family? And I was really beating, beating myself up that day. And every demon that was in my head was like, was back again. And I remember Miriam came down and she knew how tough that was on me. And, uh, but she knew I had 3,000 people waiting to want a webinar and I had to do it. And she more said, you go in there, get yourself down. I'll make you a cup of tea. Mm. You can do this. And as I walked out of the kitchen, I remember what I said to her was, pardon the language, I said, I wish I never wrote this fucking book. Yeah. And it was like, what should have been one of the happiest days of my life was completely the opposite. But what it really brought home to me was the way I was feeling and thinking had very little to do with my family because they were just busy that day. They were just doing their own thing. But there was a story in my head that was saying, your family don't like you. You're a bad person. I realised that day that there was still part of me that was really tied emotionally to my family's approval. Mm -hmm. And without that, I think it's amazing that so many people all over the world, the book was sold in 50 different countries, said so many nice things. And yet I couldn't hear that. The only thing I could hear was the silence from my own family. And um, and at that point, I probably felt I want to walk away from this work. It's, I'm not doing it anymore. But I've gone on an incredible journey the last two and a half years of really dissolving that, letting that go, unlocking all my own emotional blocks, my own emotional wounds. And this book, uh, The Freedom Within, is is captures that that story. So I, when I woke up the next day, after that publication day, I just said, Jerry, you have a lot of work to do. You have to let this go. And if ever you are to be really free in life, this is your final step. And that book now is what I've done over the last two and a half years to do that. In your introduction, there's there's a line, there's two lines that you say, and I think it really resonated with me as well. And I think with for a lot of us, you know, we're being encouraged to live authentically. And while many of us want to and have that desire, sometimes what holds us back is what impact our realness may have on another person, particularly those we are close to, be it family members or friends. But this line really landed with me. I cannot live my life for them or their approval. I have to give myself the freedom to live it for myself. In the book, and I don't even think I made the final piece, but there was these universal truths. So the universal truths in life are simple. Life is uncertain and unpredictable. You will encounter pain in your life, no matter what you do. Mm. At some point, we'll all encounter pain. Not everybody is going to support you. Not everybody is going to be delighted with your success. No matter how hard you try for certain people to like you, they will never like you. Mm. And your happiness will annoy people. If we could all write those down every day and realise that that is the truth, not everybody wants my book to be successful. Not everybody is happy when they see me happy. Not everybody is delighted when I disagree with them because we get too caught up in being right or wrong. And in, 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 in our modern world, we all have to take sides, whether it's on a, a war or whether it's on a topic. You have to be on one side or the other. Mm. I'm not interested in sides. I'm interested, where's the middle ground? Where's the common ground? Where can we all grow and help each other with a new opinion? Can you give me a new insight? Or can you say something that challenges my deepest beliefs? And let me go away and think about that. So I think what we have to do is, is just realise that in this crazy thing we call life, most people will never understand you. 
people who you think should support you actually won't. Mm. Your happiness and your power will intimidate people. And the more successful you become is the more isolated you'll be. Because most people live with the stories that life is hard, happiness isn't really possible, sure it's all about just grind through the week, sure course is Friday night, why wouldn't you have a Chinese and, and, and wine? It's not easy to be fit. When you get to 40, you, get, you, you put on a pot belly. It's all these stories. And anyone then that blows those stories up in smoke, mm. you're like the alarm clock. Someone said to me once, you know, Jerry, when, when you set the alarm clock for four in the morning and you go to the airport and the alarm clock goes, you don't say, oh, thank God, alarm clock. Thank God you woke me up. What you say is, a feck alarm clock. And he said, Jerry, sometimes your message is like you're waking people up, but not everybody wants to wake, wake up. Just like an alarm clock will annoy you in the morning, sometimes your questioning and your truth, your freedom, your power will annoy people because not everybody actually wants to wake up. Most people are happy to get stuck in their own stories. Not everybody wants to let go of their past. Not everybody is willing to do the work to let go of their trauma. And I think that's the problem is that modern society have narratives that we think are truth, but they're not truths. And people desperately cling to that and people justify or explain why they are the way they are because that will have no control over it. That's just the way it has to be. And when somebody comes in and blows that up, it's like, well, what are my truths? Mm. And I think that's where we are in the world is that we're not everybody's willing to do the hard work to find out what is the truth? What is the truth out in the world at the moment? We're happy to consume truth that's been fed to us. The hard work is to really understand nutrition, to really understand what's going on in the world, to really understand what's happening with our freedom at the moment, to really understand who I want to be, to leave that job behind that you're not happy with. That's terrifying. Mm. But that's where freedom is. And most prisoners will tell you that when you leave prison first, it's terrifying. Freedom is terrifying. Because when you're in prison, you have structure and you have order and you have identity and it's safe and it's familiar. And the minute you walk out of the prison into freedom, it's absolutely terrifying. So freedom is an incredible thing, but the process to it isn't that easy. And it's often about leaving the familiar behind, leaving old stories behind, leaving old traumas behind, leaving beliefs behind. And it's absolutely about leaving the worry about what other people think. You've got to leave that behind once and for all and you've got to walk free. And that is one of the biggest challenges you know, alongside the work that's involved, because I think as well, when people realise, oh, this is not just a, a click my fingers and I'm going to change and things are going to be different, that it does take time because you're unravelling a lot of probably conditioned behaviours as well and thought patterns so that it doesn't happen overnight. It requires dedication and having to keep looking at it and bringing, bringing whatever issue into the light and, and kind of unpacking it Um and it does require a lot of effort from the person. Yeah. And it's constant effort because what I discovered when I wrote Awaken Your Power Within, I had done this incredible work to make the, that version of Jerry happy. But that version of Jerry happy, just before Awaken came out, was, was he was married, no kids, freedom to travel the world, freedom to do his own exercise every day, in complete control of his own schedule, yeah. And then bang, bang, bang. And before you know it, you have a kid. You're not sleeping. You're not, your routines are totally on top of its head. The world is in COVID. You can't leave your house. You can't go anywhere. 
And now you're a dad with responsibilities. And my responsibility was, how do I become a dad? How do I raise this child with love? And how do I not mess it up? So I think it's constant work because we're constant changing. You know, so I was never a dad before. Mm. I was never a husband before. I was never in lockdown before. And now I'm a dad to two. I have to figure that out. So yeah. I think because we're always changing and our life circumstances are always changing, we've got to keep... So what makes this Jerry happy now? The work that I did to liberate the first version of Jerry, well, that was great, but now he's a dad and he's everything else. So I think it's 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 a lifelong commitment to understanding who am I now, what's important, the dreams and goals I had when I was 19. Most of those would neither you know, motivate or inspire me now. The things that made me happy when I was 19 don't make me happy anymore. The things I thought I wanted five years ago, I don't want them anymore. So we have to keep asking that W-I-N, what's important now? Mm-hmm. So now that I'm a dad of two, now that I'm a husband, what's important now? What would allow this version of Jerry to be the best that he can be? And in five, six, seven years' time, It'll be another quest. And I think that's when you stay curious all the time about who am I now? What motivates me now? What makes me happy now? And going back to the family, because everybody in your family is growing and evolving too. You're not the same people you were when you grew up. Mm. And what you kind of realise is the more you grow up and you all grow in your own different directions, you've actually very little in common with them. And that's perfectly fine. So I find the more I go home, it's the less I have in common with them because I'm changing all the time and they're changing. So if you're changing all the time and then you're trying to go home and be who you were when you were growing up at 10 years old, it just doesn't work. You can't go home and be the 10-year-old anymore. And sometimes that happens, that we go back into the role that we had in the family when we go back into our home environment, don't we? Absolutely. It's it's a trigger. Uh, And my biggest trigger is I go into my, my... my 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 mum dad's house and the first thing is I I go to the fridge because that's what I did when I was young when I was growing up I was always hungry the second thing is when I'm there and I don't usually eat white bread and this is in the book but when I was growing up a very busy house ten eight kids mum and dad ten but on a Saturday morning the kids that were old enough were gone out working and the kids that weren't were lying in bed so I had this sweet spot every Saturday morning where I had the kitchen and my mum. And anyone who knows me and knows my story knows how important my mum and my dad are. But So every Saturday morning I would have an hour where it's just me and my mum. And she would put me on the couch. Uh, we'd watch, uh, there used to be a cartoon called Dog Tenyon. I don't know if anyone oh, remember yeah, yeah, that. I the remember. Three Musketeers, but he was a dog, Dog Tenyon. And she'd make me uh, hot tea and uh, fresh white toast with butter. And that for me was heaven. To this day, when I'm anxious or stressed, white bread and butter is what I go for. That's my emotional trigger. Mm. So I could travel the world and never look for bread once. It doesn't even come into my radar. The minute I walk through my parents' house, I'm back to that kid that wants to be comforted. And I start looking in my mum, she's, she might not listen to this, but she might be. The first thing I do is I go straight to the bread bin. And I would never. So when you go home, there's so many triggers. With the people you're involved, the smell the visuals, you're transported back. And if you're not aware of those triggers, you'll find yourself going back to the same eating routines, the same thinking routines, you play the same role and you're stuck in the same trauma. So for me, it's to go back as the adult Jerry. And the the great liberation with that is that you don't need anybody to change. When you change, so when I go home now to my family after the work I've done the last two and a half years, it's like everybody's changed, but they haven't changed. 
but I've changed. So I go back to the same place where maybe everybody is the same, but I experience it completely different. Mm. And now I have the freedom to go back and enjoy it and realize that my family are amazing people and they're just amazing. But I see them different. My expectations of them are different. So I'm not disappointed. There's a great expression that says, you know, we're not really disappointed by other people. We're disappointed when people don't live up to our expectations. expectations yeah. So I've surrendered all expectations and I just see them as a group of amazing people. And I get to, I get to de- decide the relationship I want with them. So I need to thank you actually for the last conversation because, um, and we spoke, you know, a good bit after, before and after the chat and, you know, we added a bit more that maybe I wasn't necessarily comfortable talking about during the the actual podcast. But from what you said the last time and particularly on that, on expectation, I did, I did a bit of work on it and I have found it to be transformative when I've let go of an expectation I had of certain people in my life and what I thought they might do or provide to me. And when I let that go, um, there's been a beautiful shift Mm. and a really positive one. And I'm in a really good place with a a lot of close members in my, uh, you know, in my my circle. Um, And I have you to thank for that. And it, it, it is down to that letting go of expectation because I was... I suppose self-sabotaging really by expecting things to be a certain way rather than seeing them for what they were. Um, And as soon as I let go of that, the funny thing is, it's kind of like I wanted and I, but I was actually pushing people away because of of my own expectation. Mm -hmm. When I let go of it, they're now coming closer to me. I know. It's really amazing. I'd say it's like, let's say two people want to do a dance. We all want to dance with our family. And let's say you're adamant in your head that you want to do a jive. I'm no good dancing, but... (laughs) Okay. But all your family, they love waltzing. And they waltz. And there's a certain, there's a massive difference in the rhythm and the timing and the energy. So when you go home, you can either make a decision. Either I'm not going home, I'm not dancing with them. That's one decision. Or B is, I'm going to surrender my need to jive because it's actually not that important. My love of the jive is not that important. My ability to be able to dance with my family is all that matters. And I don't care what dance we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if I'm right or wrong. And you just go home and you dance. You dance in the way that gives you what you want. So if it's a deeper connection with your family, you're going to have to surrender and let things go. And one of those biggest things is expectations. And in this book, The Freedom Freedom Within, I talk about the freedom contract. And if you extend that idea of disappointment, we're all disappointed with life sometimes because people say, you know, well, I should be married by now. I should have had kids. I should this. I should that. I should that. And people come to me sometimes and, and they're angry with life and they're bitter. And, and, you know, I should. And what I always, I always ask them is, show me the contract. And they say, what contract? The contract you have with life where life guaranteed you that you would be married by 35, that you would have two kids, that you wouldn't get sick, that this wouldn't happen to you. Show me the contract. And then they'll say, there is no contract. And I will say, exactly. Mm. So where's all this should come from? The greatest definition of enlightenment there is, is the non-resistance of what is. The greatest gamble we'll ever take is daring to live a life because we have no contract. There are no rules. The universe might have a plan. But the universe will bring us on its journey. We can't bring the universe on our journey. 
but the human ego wants to control, wants to predict. It it sets a kind of a number of milestones and we think that that is right and everything else is wrong. And then we suffer when things don't happen in the way we expected them. So we have this idea that almost that we deserve certain stuff. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. And sometimes what we think we need or what we want isn't actually what we need. And what I've learned so many times in my life is that it's great to have goals and dreams and plans. But you know what? You can't control that. So like I'm sitting here with you today. I'm not meant to be in Ireland. And you know the type of week we've had where it's like, at one point last week I was saying, universe, are you actually serious? Like, yeah. are, you re- are you serious? How many more twists can you put into my week? And I could be angry at that. I should be, I shouldn't be here. I should be in the sunshine. I should be in Portugal. I should be doing this. But where's the should come from? So the only contract that we can have is a contract with ourselves called the freedom contract. I will be free from expectations. I will control only what I can control. And when something happens that is outside of what I expected or predicted, I will not judge it or resist it. I will be present to it. I will understand that it's here for a reason. And at the end of the day, all I can control is my response. We can never control what happens in life, but we absolutely get to control our response. So this week, when everything seemed to be like it couldn't get any worse, every day I woke up and every day I asked myself this question, what would an incredible response to today look like? What would kindness look like? What would love look like? What would bring me peace? And constantly wishing that life was different to what it is is the very definition of suffering. To be loving and to accept every moment as if you've chosen it is one of the greatest gifts. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you don't want to change it, but it's like I'm starting from a place of acceptance. And in the book I talk about empowered acceptance. It's not what I wanted. I never expected to be redundant at this age. I never expected not to have a second child. And I know that these are huge questions and and huge things for people. Mm. But there's a difference in pain and suffering. Pain is what happens to us in life. And and one of the universal truths of life is pain will visit us all. But suffering is our reaction to that. So for me, it's not just about releasing expectations of your family. I've got to a point where I have no expectations of life. I set my goals, I set my vision, and I say to the universe, if this is for me, let me have it. Mm. And if it's not, give me the humility, the courage, and the confidence to accept what is. And I liken that to the Bible is important to me, and and Jesus regularly just was overwhelmed and felt the pressure of of the mission he'd done. And regularly used to pray and say, you know, Father, if you can take this away from me, do Because I don't really need this and I don't need this hassle. But he was saying, and if you can't take it away, make me strong enough to carry it. Mm. And I think the message that this book is, and and this book isn't about fake positivity. I'm not interested in fake positivity. Life is hard and life will, as Rocky says, life will beat you to your knees at times. And I've been there. But this work and emotional freedom isn't about waiting for life to get easier. It's not about waiting for your challenges to disappear. It's not about waiting for the perfect time. It's not about wanting the world to be easier. We can't make the world easier. We can't make our challenges go away, but we can make ourselves stronger. And this book is about how do we awaken that power inside? How do we awaken that freedom? 
to accept everything as it is without judgment or resistance or comparison and take a deep breath and say, now that this is happening, now that I am in this position, mm. what would an incredible response look like? I know you believe in divine timing as I do. And even though you have, you know, as a family, you're you're being tested a lot at the moment. There's a lot going on in your lives. And as you said, you didn't expect necessarily to be in Ireland. But we're here sitting together in the one room on the day that this book has just been released to the world, which I feel very lucky to be in this position because I didn't know whether we'd actually get to meet face to face. You know, we've been trying to organise it, whether it was going to be Dublin mm. or Galway or whether it was going to be a remote recording. And while remote recordings are fantastic and I've done them, I will always choose the face to face because yeah. I just think the quality of conversation, the connection you get with somebody is always a far superior. So I, for one, I'm not... Uh, obviously glad for all that you've going on but I'm glad that you're here I'm glad that you're here and that we're having having this chat Parenthood Parenthood is utterly transformative and I think you can read all the books that have ever been written about it but nothing quite prepares you for it and I suppose for you guys as well and you know we have two kids so Cahill is six Clean is nearly two but Eli is three and a half, you were saying to me, mm. and Bethany has just turned one like she's yeah. 13 months so they're closer in age mm-hmm. they're young it's full on. It's full on, yeah. It is, and and uh, and I'll be all honest and say, you know, I struggled for the first. I'd say until Bethany was six months, I struggled with the whole thing, uh, and I was angry. And in my book, uh, I talk a lot about releasing that anger. And what was the anger was because my life was no longer my own. Um, everything that I'd, I I'd set up was like. There was no interference at every given minute of my day. And I suddenly realised life will never be the same again. So in the book, I also talk about a lot of the work I do with Ravi. And if anyone has, knows my story, he's been the greatest mentor guide uh, I've ever had. And Ravi said to me something, and I know people mightn't like this, uh, might, this might annoy people, but I don't know if it will. Ravi said, Jerry, the, what you need to accept here is that for the rest of your life, Parenthood is a lifetime of servitude and you are here to serve your children. You are here to dedicate your life to your children. It's not about you anymore. And he said, your children did not ask to be born. You asked for them. Now you got to protect them. And you got to dedicate your life to your children. And actually... Because I was saying, oh, well, once Eli is this, once I, Eli is that age, and once we can get back to Portugal, you know, my life will get back to normal. And he's like, Jerry, that's the problem. You have too many parents who want their life to be the way it was before the children. And we're trying to fit children in to a routine, a sleep routine, a life routine that fits the life of the adult. Yeah. He's like, Jerry, the most precious thing you'll ever do is bring a child into this world. Nothing will ever be more important than that. So dedicate your life to it and be happy with that. And stop trying to have the life that you had before you had children because you'll never have that. And as long as you're trying to have that, you're going to be suffering. Your life is now about servitude. And I think, Sheila, we don't talk enough about parenthood. I think it's seen for, for many of us as, oh, this, we don't actually think about the massive disruption it is in our life. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But is it for everybody? I'm not too sure. Because the danger is, if we don't really think about it, 
then we have we have this busy life where things are hectic and then you add in a child or two children and it's like, well, where's the space going to be? And the problem with that then is the kids are, they have to be fitted in. So you have these sleep schedules that are seven to seven, but who said that? Is that to suit the adult's schedule or the child's schedule? Children should sleep all night. Should they, I wonder? Does that mean that for 12 hours every night, kids don't need the parents? Is that, are they meant to know that? I just think if there's one conversation the world needs right now, it's we're growing up with so many children that are highly anxious. And is that down to attachment? Do we spend enough time with our children? Do we give them what they need? Do we get down the floor and play with them? Or have we a world where two parents, for lots of different reasons, are gone working all the time? And we're outsourcing our children. And all the science and if, you know, the work of Gabramati, if you give yourself any gift, study Gabramati, listen to as many hours as you can. Yeah, it's amazing. How many children are actually grown up traumatised? Because in those vital early years of attachment, it wasn't there. Because we live in this crazy society where parents are under so much pressure financially. We've, we've, it's almost impossible now to buy a house. And parents are under so much stress that either A, they don't get to spend enough time with their children, or B, when they are with their children, they're highly stressed. And I just think we need to stop and ask, what is the society we need? So for me, that's what parenthood is. It's, it's accepting what it is. It's the most challenging, the most dip- difficult, but the most noble thing you could do. You're actually showing somebody how to be a human being. Yeah. And you can change the world. By dedicating your life to your children and making your children kinder, better, happier people who are fully attached, you'll make the world a better place. Mm. Nothing is more important. And if you're not willing to give it that level of dedication, you should have a real honest conversation. And that's what Ravi said to me. And I think that's the mistake that the world makes at the moment. Everybody's having kids, but is everybody ready to have them or prepared to have them? Because... Kids need the parents and yeah. they need the parents around. It's something I, beautiful I read once about parenthood. I think it really resonated that, you know, just to keep in mind that your 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 job, I suppose, is to mind, love, care, nurture this being. They're of equal importance on a soul level, mm-hmm. but they're just in an underdeveloped physical form. And your yeah. job is to guide them and, and show them as best you can. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm finding at the moment as well, Jerry, is I feel like I still need to do a lot of work on my own stuff as in my own responses to things my own triggers and regulating my own emotions Mm -hmm. which I know you speak about brilliantly in the book Mm -hmm. and how important that is because you know we're meant to be you know air quotes the adults with the with the knowledge with the wisdom but sometimes I find myself reacting in a way that I go what where did that come from (laughs) you know I get cross I get reactive and I go and I should you know the the should word I should know better. Um, and then that requires a bit of attention as what happened there now? Why did I get so cross so fast? I know. I would say that nobody makes me more angry in the world than my own two kids. And it's weird. And there's times where I absolutely want to throw them out the window. And I've said that. There's times where I would nearly throw them out the window. Or as there's been nights where I said, I'm just gone, I'm going out the window to hell with them, you know? And so nobody needs to explain to me that at times you just want to pull your hair out, run away. I've often said in the middle of the night, this is the worst decision I've ever made. What, what was I thinking? <laughs> My life was so good. What was I thinking? You know, and, uh, 
and there's uh, there's been nights where trying to put Eli to bed for hours and Miriam and tell you I walked out and I remember punching, punching the wall me Mr. Jerry Enlightened punched yeah. the wall like Jesus Christ how do I deal with this nonsense but you have to so we have a thing in ours we, Miriam uses it called fraction repair so we'll all have an emotional outburst Eli see me shout kick roar punch the wall but then you have to repair it quickly yeah. and you know and show them that it's okay at times to be angry. It's okay. You know, and what Gabor Matty talks about is the worst thing is actually to have a, an emotionally stifled house where don't cry, I you know, don't express your emotion, where we almost fakely show the kids that we're calm and happy all the time. We're not. Eli is only three and a half, but he knows when I'm upset. He knows when I'm scared. And I can talk to him about that. I can talk to him about being angry. And we can have conversations now where he says, did I make you angry, Dad? I say, yes, you did make me angry. And we'll have a conversation. And I think emotional literacy is so important. And emotional literacy is not about denying, suppressing or masking emotions. It's about allowing emotions to happen, but quickly repairing them and then having a conversation about that emotion. And I think we don't have to be superhuman to repair to our children. They want to see us as weak and vulnerable and... And there's power in apologising to your kid, isn't there? Mer, you know, even yesterday morning, Mary made me apologise to Eli. And part of me was like, I don't want to apologise to him because <laughs> he was wrong. I, that's how crazy it is. Yeah. But then we apologise. So I think, as you said, they're little humans, but their brains are actually amazing. And between the age of zero and eight, we're in theta brainwaves. So we're downloading. So 90% of their unconscious beliefs about themselves in the world will be fully formed by the time they're eight. There is no more important phase of a human being's existence than the first eight years. So they see a dad that is passionate and funny and daft and crazy, but they also see a dad that gets angry and gets sad and gets scared. And I would never hide that from them. Now, of course, you have to be able to regulate the emotion. So Mm. it's not about... It's not about being like this all the time. And if it is, or if you're having mood swings all the time, you need to have a look at yourself... But we do know that, you know, when a child has grown up in an environment, if there's constant tension or stress in the environment, let's say you have two parents that don't really get on with each other and there's constant tension or stress, the child picks up on that energetically and the child's nervous system will go into fight or flight mode and the baby can spend the first 8, 10, 14, 15 years of life in fight or flight mode. What the problem with that is they've never developed the ability to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your heal, rest and digest. Now, that means that they go into uh, an adult life where they're constantly in survival mode. They're constantly in the hormones and chemicals of stress. Their brain chemistry, their brain function, their nervous system function is only trained in one way. So that's why when we're growing up, the environment in which we grow up in is so important. And if you live with a parent who can't regulate their emotions, who flies off the handle and doesn't apologise and flies off the handle for no particular reason and doesn't explain it to you, then you live with this fear that the person could fly off the handle all the time. And again, you're in fight or flight mode. So that's why I think, you know, for a lot of us who might find, you know, we're always suffering from the emotions of fear or anxiety or stress, it's very often to go back and not just look at what happened in, inside my own inner world, but what was the environment in which I grew up. And in the book I talk about, I live in, in Dunleary when we're here in the summer and I go for a run on the pier every morning and all the sailing boats are all docked out in the water. 
but they're always perfectly aligned. And it's like somebody came out overnight and aligned them all perfectly. But of course they don't. It's the wind. And what is the wind? The wind is an invisible force that is shaping and aligning all the boats. And we all grew up in a family home and there was an invisible force. Maybe it was an unspoken trauma. It was an intergenerational pain. It was an alcoholism. It was an anxiety or a depression. It was something that was powerfully experienced all the time in the house, but never spoken about, never explained. And that has shaped our nervous system, our brain chemistry, our beliefs. And most of the way we see the world and most of the way we are aligned to the world goes back to that invisible force. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I think when you look back through the generations and the hold that shame had over Irish families, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And down to the, you know, we don't talk about the certain things and all of that stuff. It's all, it all again stems yeah, from shame. There's a beautiful explanation, shame and guilt. And it's important that we separate these. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Yeah. Ooh. And that's the problem with Ireland at times. And that's the problem with people is that sometimes we do things that are wrong. And at times guilt, okay, that's not a bad emotion. But shame is I am wrong. I'm wrong because I had a miscarriage. There's something wrong with me. My marriage failed. There's something wrong with me. I can't have children. There's something. We're too hard on ourselves. So shame is a totally different emotion to guilt. Guilt is I did something that wasn't right. But shame is I'm not right. There's something wrong in me. 
And one of the biggest reasons why we don't have these open, honest, powerful, beautiful conversations about the full spectrum of human life is we're shame. But that would bring shame on the family. Yeah. That would bring shame on people who think there's something wrong with me. To live a fully beautiful, a fully human life is to experience every human emotion. And every one of us, every household in Ireland will experience some form of pain from alcoholism to anxiety to depression to... But too many houses just won't talk about that. And I've often dealt with a client and they might have grown up in some type of really traumatic experience. And I would often say, wow, you know, that must have really impacted your sister. And the person would say, I presume it did. And I'd say, did you ever say to her? No, we've never spoken about it. Imagine, I'd ask people, listen to this, think of the conversations you've never had with your siblings. Think of the things that have been so impactful in your life that all your siblings experienced that you've never spoke about. And why is that? And a lot of times when there's anxiety or stress or sickness in a family, we'll just say it's down to genetics. And you'll say, well, why is it genetics? Oh, well, me and my two brothers had it. But let's go a bit deeper than that. You mean your two brothers who grew up in the same family, were exposed to the same trauma, lived in the same environment. What would make you think it's not emotional? So just because something runs in the family doesn't mean it's necessarily physical. So, you know, there's a thing I always say to people, what's the one thing you've never said out loud? What's the one conversation you've never had with your siblings? What's the one thing in your family you've never called out? And why is that? And very often it's because we, we, we talk of, you know, the human being is designed to run away from pain. That's our natural response. To try to survive, we run away from pain. The problem with running away from emotional pain is that we'll spend the rest of our life running, suppressing it, denying it, running marathons, climbing 50, Everest 50 times, trying to build a new uh, a new business, trying to make more money, build a new house. We're constantly going, 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 seeking, seeking, trying to run away from. But you can never outrun the stories in your head and you can never outrun the pain in your heart. And in this book, I talk about a thing called emotional edge. An emotional edge is where you dare to sit and allow your deepest pain to come and allow yourself to experience your deepest emotional pain in its fullest, without the need to run from it. And it's only when we're ready to face it are we ready to feel it. And only when we're ready to feel it can we actually heal it. Masking an emotion, suppressing an emotion, denying an emotion, denying a trauma, running away from a trauma, feeling shame about a trauma, feeling shame about something that happened in our life will always keep us away from addressing it. Yeah. And as long as we don't address it, then that will always have a hold on us. And our life will always be defined and determined by that because it's the one thing we can't face, we can't speak about, we can't name. And, and, and the problem with that then is if there's a part of you, if there's a part of your story that you can't say, you can't name, you can't speak about, then you can never be your true self. And if you can't be your true self, then your life can never be what it wants to be. So that's why the work is so important. It's meeting yourself, warts and all. It is coming face to face with your deepest emotions and realising that as you feel them and as you heal them and as you dissolve them, 
beyond them. It's just an amazing freedom. Yeah. I'm sure for people listening, it's probably bringing up lots of different scenarios for them in their own lives of stuff that has been unspoken or sometimes as well, I think people rewrite what actually happened probably as a protection <laughs> because they don't want to go there or go back into the situation. And I think you need to feel safe, don't you, to to explore, really explore it. You, you need to feel a, say, a sense of uh, like that you're grounded enough, anchored enough to go there. And I think the big question is, why am I going back? If you're going back to blame or to give out, hurt people hurt people. And I've had to ask forgiveness in my own family. And one of the hardest things I've had to do was sit down with my own family member and ask them for forgiveness. Knowing that they probably had no right to forgive me. And that's hard because I could have spent the rest of my life avoiding that, avoiding that conversation, running away from it. But I would never have peace. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because they had no right to forgive me. But before I asked that question, I had to forgive myself. And that is the power of forgiveness. It's about, first and foremost, if the world forgives you, but you don't forgive yourself, then the world's forgiveness is no good. And every one of us has probably someone that has hurt us at some point. Whether it's a mom, a dad, a teacher, a brother, a sister. And you have every right to be angry. And you have every right to be bitter. And you have every right to be whole painful. But there's a great expression that says, holding anger towards someone is like drinking poison, hoping it hurts the other person. If you're holding anger or bitterness in your heart or in your soul, the only person that's being hurt is you. So forgiveness isn't a gift to anybody else. Forgiveness is a gift to you. Forgiveness isn't about condoning what happened. It's not about forgetting what happened. It's not about saying what happened was right. It is none of those things. Forgiveness is where you get to a point where you make peace with what was. You make peace with who you were. You understand it, unlock it and move on from it. Forgiveness is where you say that person, that place, that thing is no longer having emotional power in my life. I'm letting that go. And there's a beautiful expression that says a hot air balloon flies not just because of the hot air in the balloon, but because the ropes they cut tying it to the ground. And I realized that when my last book came out, I still had ropes, emotional things that were tying me to pain. And unless I was willing to face those head on, I would never be free. And no matter how many books I write, no matter how many people in the world said I was incredible, I would never be free. I had to go back to source, the source of my pain, the source of my limitations, I had to have the most, the hardest conversation that you could think someone could ever have. But I did it for peace. So I would say to everybody, start by forgiving. No matter what it was, ask yourself, am I going back to dig this up for anger? To hurt somebody? Or am I just going in pursuit of peace? And... You know, I often imagine, you know, the people that sat around the table to come to the Good Friday Agreement and we know how powerful that was. Yeah. None of them 
probably, you know, every one of them had a right on both sides not to sign it. Because there was people sitting on, on a table looking into the eyes of the person who had blown up their father, their sisters, their brothers. And yet they had to find a coming willingness to sit across the table and say, I want peace with you. Isn't that an amazing thing? And when you look at what's happening in the world now, where it's all about re- retaliation and anger, isn't it incredible in our little island, after so many years of, of pain, that people could sit in a room with people who caused their pain and yet say, I want peace. I want peace with you. If there's nothing else you want in life but peace, isn't that the most amazing thing? And you have to be willing to let go of the need to be right or the need for retaliation. Just let it go. And this book is about me finding peace that I thought I had, but I didn't really. And this book is about looking at what is it, because we all think everybody wants to be happy. But happy is just a temporary emotion. It's the Hollywood thing. And if you want to be happy all the time, well, look out because life doesn't allow you to be happy all the time. But beyond happiness is something more powerful. It's peace. And we can be at peace even in the face of death. And if people can sit across the table and look at people that have caused their deepest wounds and still want peace... I think there's nothing else in the in the world right now. The only conversation we need in the world right now is what do we need to do? Who do we need to become in order to find peace? And right now we're bombarded with it's it's impossible whether we're following it or not not to see a, a perspective on what's happening at the moment in the world. Because when we spoke and we, and the episode was released in January, you know, we were the post-pandemic the war in Ukraine and now there's another war in Gaza and it is I think difficult for a lot of us who feel perhaps helpless you might be educating yourself you might be signing petitions you might be donating but there's a feeling of and you you spoke about it of guilt perhaps that we live on this island and we live well and we have so much to be grateful for when we see what is happening and then of course depending on what social media accounts we follow, we are perhaps being given, due to the algorithm, a certain perspective, depending on what we're attracted to. And we'll be giving more of those accounts and more of those kind of stories. And I know for one that I have probably seen things that are lodged in my subconscious mind and and a part of me feels like, well, you need to see this because you need to see the reality. Another part is like, I can never unsee what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And what is that doing to what is that doing to my nervous system? What is that doing to me internally? Mm-hmm. Because my dreams are very disturbed at the moment. Of course. Um, I I hold my kids and I feel, I feel very lucky, but I feel very sad. And it's very strange. Um, what you said there is something that has come up in conversation quite a bit, is that, you know, it's not a pipe dream. People, peace is possible. We have proven it here. It is possible, but it seems like what's happening at the moment, it seems so far removed from a sit down, let's let's talk this out kind of a thing. And it's so complex and so deep on both sides. And I have I have a friend who's Jewish who is very torn because she has family members in Israel. Uh, I think as Irish people, we have, uh, I suppose, a connection to Palestinians because we feel like there's a connection there because we were, so, were ruled so long by the Brits that there is a sense of, of connection and compassion towards their plight. 
But what is this impact having on us? I'd love to get your perspective on the now and maybe advice for some people as to how we navigate this strange time that we're in. Yeah, I think for me it comes down to values. So the world has always said asking you to take sides. Uh, I don't take sides in anything. I know what my values are and I will align to people and things that match my values. Kindness, honesty, inclusion, humanity. If you have a young one-year-old baby and the limbs are blown to bits. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what creed. There is no justification of that. No. Anyone that drops a bomb on another human being, there is no justification of that. That is just wrong. It is always wrong and it will never be right. I don't care what uniform you wear. I don't care how you try spin it. I don't care how you try justified. I don't, no baby deserves to be bombed. And what we need is a world that is strong enough to stand up and say to both sides and all sides, this isn't wrong and we're not tolerated and we're not backing it up and we're not supporting you because this is wrong. Human beings are human beings. We try to justify it because what sides are. There's no sides. There's only one side. We're a human race yeah. and we're meant to be humankind. But where's the kindness? I don't take sides in anything. Every single human life is precious. It is a remarkable gift. Every single child is every mother wished for and the day they were born was can you imagine holding your child that's been bombed it's just wrong for one human being to bomb another human being is just wrong it's, and there's no justification and if the world leaders aren't strong enough to stand up and say the unnecessary in fact all taking of life is unnecessary but do we have that will and all I'm saying is be careful what you're, be careful the information you're being told. Are you telling me if there wasn't an absolute, total commitment from every world leader to stop war, that it couldn't happen? And if that means we shut down every Lockheed Martin plant in the world that makes the weapons, we shut them down. And you keep going step after step after step after step, irrelevant of sides. And where are these weapons coming from? Who's supplying them? So I just think it's a big conversation and I'm not into sides and I'm not interested in who's right and wrong. I just think of the human pain. And right now I have a very good friend who's a doctor that's in the middle of it all. And he goes out every day to retrieve bodies. And he doesn't know who, 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 who's retrieving. Yeah. And he's picking up babies that have been blown to bits. And do you think he cares what side they're on? He's just trying to save the life. Every human life is precious. War is always wrong. Retaliation is always wrong. Anger is always wrong. And the quicker we wake up to this. So what can we do in our own life? For me, it's, I have to live my own values and not take sides and dig deeper into what is the truth about all of this. And even in my own little life, where am I being angry? Where am I retaliating? So it's easy to talk about the big global concept of not bombing people, but maybe I bomb people every day by sending them a horrible email or looking at someone who I know needs help and not asking them, are you okay? So when we start to live from the values of absolute kindness, where we see that we're all connected to each other and that everything we say either enables or disables the person we're saying to so no matter what you're saying, no matter what text you're sending, no matter what email, if you're talking about someone 
and they're not in your company, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it helpful? And is it true? And if it's not, don't say it. So from the big global things to the little things that we do every day, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it empowering? Is it inclusive? Is it loving? If it is, do more of it. And if it's not, stop it. Mm. And that's the challenge we all have to set ourselves. And in those tiny little actions that we all take every day about standing for one human race, where every single human life is precious, wouldn't that be a beautiful place to be? Yeah. Um, and I would say everybody, you know, regulate your own nervous system. And we've a lot of stuff in the book about this. So yeah. the world is uncertain. The world is unpredictable. The world can cha- be chaotic and the world can be painful. That's the external world. But the external world is not your internal world. So we have an amazing way of internally regulating your internal world. So for me, even with the kids and all the chaos in my life over the last two weeks, I've been really clear about my daily activities and whether that's a cold water shower, whether that's jumping in the sea, going for exercise. The other day in the middle of all the chaos going on in my life, I said to me, I need to go for a run now because I'm just going to take 30 minutes. And in that run, I went out, I met two neighbours I hadn't seen in years, ended up having a great conversation. I just came back renewed. So I would say, turn the TV off for a little while. Understand how to rebalance your nervous system. CODE's calendar of daily events. What things can you do every day to awaken your mind, to nourish your soul, to balance your nervous system, to upregulate your immune system? We are not victims of the external world. Ask yourself, what am I consuming? Why am I consuming this? Is there something better that I could consume? But your daily activities are so important, whether that's exercise, whether that's yoga, meditation, prayer, cold water immersion, because we do live in a world that is it's probably never been as chaotic. as chaotic or as as accessible to us all the time. Everything that happens in any corner of the world is beamed into our minds straight away through our phone. Yeah. So every now and again, just come off the phone, turn the TV off, get out in fresh air, go for a walk, rebalance your nervous system, do some yoga. And that allows you to be in a place of inner calm, inner love. And no matter what challenge you have in your life, so I talk about the tasks and the work. We all have tasks raising children, we have tasks of running a business, we have tasks of trying to understand what's going on in the world, tasks of, of lots of tasks. But the work is regulating your inner world. And if you wake up in the morning and you get to do the work that makes you come into a place of more mental clarity, more emotional ease, gets rid of anger, you're overcoming your emotional blockages and you're allowing yourself to be a calm, loving, fun person who's aware of their response, who's aware of their emotions, who can regulate emotions. That's the work. Then no matter what task you have to do today, it's going to be a bit easier. So no matter how hard the task is, if you come into the task from a place of ease and peace, the task becomes easier. But if no matter what the task is, if you come into the task from a place of fear, anxiousness, anger, frustration, then the task gets harder. So for me, there's lots of tasks I have to do every day. Some of them are easy, some of them are not easy. And this book for me is about showing that I'm not afraid to take on any task and I'm not afraid of what people think about me anymore and I'm not afraid to be ridiculed. I'm not afraid to speak for truth because my life now is about allowing me to experience the most amount of peace in my life. And what I had to realise was the person that was causing most of my own suffering was myself. And I would say for most people, 
the person that causes most of our own pain is ourselves, our inner stories, our deepest beliefs, the traumas we've never spoken about, the anger we are allowing ourselves to hold. We are poisoning ourselves with unhelpful emotions. And when we allow ourselves just to release all of those, yes, the world is chaotic. It will always be chaotic. Your house will never be perfectly clean. You'll never have the perfect Christmas Eve. These are all fiction. When you allow life to unfold as it is within this moment, without fear, without resistance, without comparison, without judgment, you allow people to be who they need to be. You allow the world to be what it needs to be. But at all times, you are empowering yourself to be who you want to be. And that is a person of peace, of calmness, of joy and of love. There's no greater pursuit. So how do I solve the world is the big question. How do we get out into the world and solve everything that's going on out there? I would say to everybody, forget the out there for a moment. You can't solve anything out there until you have everything inside first. So get your own inner house right. Get your nervous system right. Get your mind right. Get your stories right. Get your emotions right. And then from that place, then move into the outside world. Which book was the most challenging to write? Uh, this definitely um, for two reasons one was Awaken was written uh, in Covid so there was no work I had nothing else to do I sit around and write the book all day, all day which was great Yeah, and you didn't have kids I didn't have kids uh, this book I have two kids um, because of the success of the first book I was never busier working and uh, Awaken had 20 different topics that I kind of went into, into minute detail on this is one topic and this is human emotions. The cost of emotions, the emotions that disable us and enable us. How do we unlock emotional trauma, emotional pain? And it also looks at the science behind every single emotion changes us physically and biologically. And if we don't actually mind our emotions, they'll turn up in our physical health. Yeah. So this was a full book on one topic. But this is powerful and anybody that has begun to read it have kind of said to me, I would describe Jerry the boy wrote Awaken Your Power Within. Jerry the man's writing this book. Well, yeah. And uh, I think people will feel this is a more mature guy writing from a deeper place of honesty. And uh, there's one more book to come. Uh, it'll be called Transcendence. And that's me done, so... Do you think it's you done? I think so. I think so. I don't even know about next year, Sheen. I've been saying this a lot this year. I think I'm taking time out for a little while. Um, so we've the show in, in November and the 12th of November. After that, we've nothing planned. I think I'm taking a break for a while. I think I need to... I don't know, there's a calling in me for something different. There's a calling in me to stop and pause. There's a greater mission out there for me now. I don't really know what that is yet. Um... And I'm really excited about the show in November because it'll be like nothing I've ever done before. It'll be, it's going to be so powerful. I've rehearsed, I've seen some of the acts rehearse with one guy called David Owens singing. Wait till you hear this guy. He's great. I've heard him. He, <laughs> he has um, performed at an event that I, I used to be involved with. And I said earlier, the tragedy of life is not death. The tragedy of life is what we allow die within us as we live. And we're going to do peace in this show that's going to be hard hitting and raw and emotional but it's going to be transforming and I would say to anybody if you're interested in this work try be at that show and the reason I'm saying this is 
everything I've done this year, I've put my heart and soul into it because I don't, I don't see beyond Christmas, which is funny. I've always had the vision for next year. I think it's time for Jerry to take a break. I think it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe in some way my work is done. Transcendence is already half written. So something's happening, something is stirring, something is moving. And my job now is, is to sit and be still with that. And, and, uh, I believe that we don't bring God on, on, on our journey, that God brings us on his journey. And it's time for me. God has allowed me to go on my journey the last while. I wanted to write these books. I wanted to do these shows. I wanted to say what I was saying. But now it's time for me to sit again and ask God, what do you want me to do now? What is it that you have in mind for me? And I have no idea what that is yet. So I need to sit. I need to meditate. I need for that picture to come to me. And who knows when that'll come, but getting this book out was so important. This, this was like something that I was sitting on my chest. Getting this book out has given me freedom now. And the work that I did to write this book has given me incredible freedom. Freedom to face into a new year where actually I've no plan and I don't mind. And it can be anything it wants to be, but I know who I want to be. I know what enables me to be that person. And I'm just going to ask the universe or God or whatever you call that to just, as Jesus said, you know, give me an easy path if you can. We all like an easy path. Otherwise, just give me the courage and strength to take it on. And uh, I've got to fulfill all my dreams over the last year or two. I've got to set all my own targets. But now it's time for me to ask the universe, what is it you'd have me do now? Wow. Because this episode is going out on the 10th of November. So your show is, is two days after that at this stage, at this stage of when the, the episode is released. I'm not sure if there'll be any tickets left. There might be a handful, but I know some people who are going and uh, it sounds like it's a it's a show not to miss because it could be a while again before you do anything of that nature, if ever. Hopefully you do. We'll see. As I say, I don't know. I've don't always know. had, for the last few years, I've always had a, a vision. I don't have that vision anymore. Mm. So I need to sit and, and be still and be silent. It's been an amazing few years of, of doing what I've done and and getting this message out there. I've, you know, it's, it's a message I've been given. And uh, I felt, I always felt I had to get it out there. I've got it out there. These two books were really important. I've done them. And, uh, there's no, there's no vision. And that one time ago, that would absolutely terrify me. But uh, it doesn't terrify me now. I would be okay with whatever it is. Yeah. And maybe Miriam goes back to work and I stay at home with the kids or who knows what that is? Who knows what that is? Maybe we don't know are we're going to be living in Portugal or we're going to be living that. We don't know. We've absolutely no plan. But there's something deeper in this universe. I know it. I feel it. I've always felt it. There's something deeper. And when we get out of our own way and out of our own ego and out of the need to control and out of the need to predict and we just ask the universe. And surrender to it. Just allow me the wisdom and courage to follow my heart. And that's all I'm going to do from now on. I'm just going to follow my own heart and how other people react, how other people think or what other people say about me following my heart. I don't give a monkey's. Mm. And then you're such a great team that Miriam is, is supportive along and you are with her that whatever you do, you're going to do together as a family. I'm excited for you and I'm glad that you're taking time out because, you know, your kids are also so young. It is full on. You've had so much being thrown at you, particularly in the last few weeks. Um, but releasing two books close 
in you know, I mean, when when was Awaken released? That came out two years ago, twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. So this is two so, years between them. So like that's a lot of work. You're you're you know sometimes you need space to breathe mm-hmm. and just be, and that's where this that's the space you're in right now. So I'm excited for you. Um, best of luck with the show. It's I know it's going to be everything that you guys do. You always create a, such a powerful sense of of um, connection in the space that you create. So I have no doubt that it will be very powerful. Very best of luck with the book. I really can't wait to read it all. The Freedom Within. Heal your emotional wounds. Awaken your higher consciousness and discover the power of emotional health. There's so much more we could have spoken about, but I think for people who are intrigued, they'll just go out and buy the book and inhale it and learn from it and hopefully apply it into their own lives. Um, brilliant, as always, to sit down and talk to you. Thanks Thank for you. Your time. And thanks for always supporting us and, and always being somewhere that I could just come and sit and speak freely. And I, I know I do a lot of podcasts, but there's a lot I don't do and there's a lot I don't do for a reason. So every time I sit with you, it's just a case of we don't over plan it or script it. And I, I'd say for everybody... Surround yourself with people that allow you to speak your heart openly without any judgment, I think. So thank you for always creating that space and allowing me to speak freely and openly. I appreciate that. Thanks, Jerry. My pleasure. If this episode resonated with you, I suggest you listen back to previous conversations with Jerry or ones I recorded with the likes of Brother Richard or Galang Tupton. Thank you so much for listening, as always, to Ready to Be Real. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.